kind of intimidated because he was a lot younger than Paul and so on. But Paul wants to just give Timothy some basic principles about how to run the church. And so he had to deal with the idea of what a pastor is to be like and how you're to deal with them, how to, how to treat a pastor um, or an elder and compensating them, how to deal with them when something goes wrong with them. And so it's all interesting stuff from that perspective. But I think a lot of times we look at it and say, well, I'm not you know, an elder. I'm not hiring pastors. I'm not doing this sort of thing. So that's somebody else's problem. But in reality, I think that this passage has a lot more relevance. It's, of course, vitally important to pastors and those in church leadership. But the truth is, especially in our society, every one of us is in church leadership, and every one of us is in a position to hire a pastor. Because we have all around us a lot of churches, a lot of great churches, and every one of us makes a decision as to where am I going to choose to be a part of the fellowship? And whose teaching am I going to choose to, to sit under? Whose authority am I going to submit to? And so on. And so in a sense, when you decide where you're going to church, you're also deciding to hire a particular group of pastors or particular leaders to be in that position of authority in your life. And I, that's a responsibility that I hope you take seriously. And, and so I think that a lot of these teachings are vital to all of us when we decide, okay, what should a pastor be like? What should I be looking for in a pastor? And what kind of teaching ought I to sit under? And so I hope that you can get that broader application even as we deal specifically with what he's, what he's talking about. And it's always a little awkward as a pastor to get up and talk about pastors. Um, it's kind of a boring topic to me in a way, but, but also it's a little weird because it can sound self-serving, especially when he starts off right away and says, you know, pay the pastors doubly well. It, it's a, now, as I'm going through the Bible, I have to deal with the whole Bible. and it's, I'm on a pace of going through the Bible in about 10 years. And so I guess to do this one thing and say, pastors that teach the Word of God are deserving of to be paid doubly well, um, I better really preach it because it's not going to come up for another 10 years. But um, <laughs> it does make it a little weird, but it's just God's Word, and so I, I want to be faithfully sharing what God has to say. Beginning with verse 17, he says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the Word and doctrine. And, and so he, he's instructing that, and the whole idea of being worthy, um, that they're worthy of honor, it's the same word that's used earlier when it's talking about paying some of these widows. And, and so in the context, and it's really clear from the next verse as well, that he's talking about the pastors should be paid well. And you have those who are pastors, and then you have especially those pastors who are the teaching elders whose primary job is to teach the Word of God, and he says they should be well compensated. And I'm not up here whining about it. I'm paid very well, and so I don't have an issue with this. But that's just what he's, what he's instructing them to do. And, and he goes on to say, the Scripture says, verse 18, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Now this is a verse in Deuteronomy that said while a 
an ox is walking in a circle, pulling this yoke and grinding the grain, don't put a muzzle on him so that he's not able to snack on the grain that he's actually grinding. It was a merciful thing for oxen to um, be able to say, well, yeah, if you put a muzzle on them, you'll have a bit more ground up grain when you're done. But come on, they're doing the work. Let them partake in the fruit of the labor. And so he's taking a passage that was about oxen and he's applying it to pastures. Interesting. Anyway, but, and, and then he says, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. This is a quote from Jesus over in Luke chapter 10, um, where Jesus was sending his disciples out two by two, giving them various instructions. And one of the things he said is, don't take money with you. Don't raise support before you go, because the place that you go, as you teach, they should pay you. And if they don't pay you, dust the, brush the dust off your feet and move on to a place who values being taught enough that they will. And so Jesus gave this instruction to his disciples, and, and Paul is using it here with Timothy to defend the idea that pastors ought to be compensated materially for um, what they do. It's interesting that he calls both Scripture, Deuteronomy, a part of the Torah, a part of the law, and a quote from Jesus that's quoted by Luke, and he calls that Scripture in the same way. That's kind of interesting. But we learn a little bit about a pastor from even just these two verses. And I'm just getting warmed up. Uh, it first says that those who rule well. Now that word rule is one that can be really misunderstood. Um, and I could very easily get excited about this because I'm a pastor and I rule. I'm in charge, it's my kingdom, you do what I say. Uh, that's, not, that's not what it's saying. And that's a misunderstanding of of what the whole thing means. The, the word there is a, a Greek word um, that means to stand in front of. It's the word pra, like pro means someone who's in front. And, and histemi, which is the word stand or to, to, to be solid. And so it's those who stand in front well. The idea really of what he's saying is that a pastor who teaches ought to be someone who can stand in front of people as an example. He ought to be there. He ought to, to be someone who's dependable, who you can count on, who's going to be solid. He, he can't be perfect. No, no pastor is, although we all think we are. Um, but I'm told that I'm not um, by God. But... Uh, but from this, we get the idea of the importance that a pastor would be somebody who's there, who's solid, who establishes some kind of a track record, who is dependable. It's why I'm, I try to be really careful to be here. And I know sometimes you go, oh, no, when you leave, it's really great. You know, we like hearing other people teach. Well, but I, I don't want to be the kind of guy who's just, you, you don't know if I'm here or not. Now, I'm saying this after having just been in Ireland with my wife celebrating our anniversary, and so I missed Sunday, but I, but I time my vacations, and I don't take them as much as I should, but I try to make it so that I miss as little church as possible. And I never, every week I'm asked by someone to come and speak at another church. And if it happens at the same time as we have a service, 
I, I never do it. I, I'm not saying that there wouldn't be a time when God might tell me, no, you have to do this. But so far in, in all the years that I've been here as a pastor, I've never left this pulpit in order to go speak at somebody else's pulpit. And I'm not saying that it's wrong for people who do, but I don't know why guys want to pastor a church and then they're gone a whole lot because the blessing is being here. This is what I'm called to do. Now, I speak at other churches all the time, but I just let them know it has to be at a time when I don't have something to do here. And so I speak at a lot of weekend retreats and I just tell them, if you can get me a Saturday night plane ticket so that I can get back for Sunday, then sure, I'd be happy to do it. And a part of that is about the staying power the dependability of someone, a pastor, who is staying in front. There's also something about being an example, being able to say when a pastor is standing up in front, it should be somebody who you can go, okay, I think he kind of gets how life works. I, I think he's living the Christian life in a way that it makes it look like something that's attractive, something that might work for me. It's the idea of of being an example. It's not so much that you're paid in order to do that, but those who you want to support in ministry should be those who stand up front well, who, who have the kind of example that, that, though, again, they're not perfect, but they're someone that if everyone followed their example, it wouldn't be too much of a mess. It wouldn't be too goofed up. And so... You know, we learned that here, and, and they're, they're to be counted worthy. There's a certain amount of respect that should go with someone who does that. And he says, especially those who labor, the word there is who wear themselves out, who fatigue themselves, literally, in the word and doctrine. So teaching the word, teaching biblical teaching, is the primary role of a pastor who is standing up in front of a church and, and leading them. And it's, I mean, we can do a bunch of other things, but even as Acts chapter 6 talked about, when the, in the early church, when the Hellenistic Jews felt like their widows weren't being taken care of, the apostles said, okay, go get some deacons to take care of that functioning so that we won't be taken away from the word of God and prayer. And as much as that sounds like a really cushy job to just, wow, you mean all you're supposed to do is, is just study and preach and pray? Man, that sounds easy. Um, first of all, no, it's not easy. And there are people who have done studies that have established that a pastor who speaks in a, in a message for 45 minutes is the wear and tear on their body uh, from that is equivalent to eight hours of of physical labor. So I don't know what that says about doing three services in a row, 24 hours of work. I don't think so. But um, the whole idea is, no, it, if you do it right, it wears, you, it wears you out. Now, there are easy ways to do it, too. You can just go get old messages, or you can preach other people's messages. There are ways to do it that's easy. But what you want to see from a pastor is someone who actually works hard at doing this faithfully. And that might mean that they can't be there for you to talk to you whenever you call or to visit you whenever you want or to help you in whatever area that you might have. 
it's really wrong when a pastor whose primary responsibility is teaching the Word gets too distracted with other functions. And it's something that I have to remind myself of often because I love a lot of the other functions of ministry. And yet that can't take away from what the primary responsibility is. And as much as possible, the church needs to relieve a pastor of the burden and the expectation of doing a whole bunch of other stuff and always being everything, because really what the ministry is about as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So it's my job to teach you, and it's your job to do the work of the ministry. And so he's kind of pointing that this out here, that when you find someone who will do that faithfully, make sure that you encourage that, make sure that you honor that, and that's kind of what you're looking for. Now, how do you know how hard someone works at it? You don't always. You don't always know whether they're working hard um, because you may not know as much as they do. And, and there are some people who can just steal other people's messages and throw a bunch of Greek words in there and make you think that, wow, what a, what a brilliant person. And I think if you teach the Bible right, it, it's complicated truth that comes out simple. Whenever someone says, you know, boy, I listen to you speak and I'm just amazed how smart you are, I think, I don't know if I really made, if I came across the right way. Because that's not the idea, but to faithfully labor over the word and, and, and in prayer is something that we certainly need to do. And you want to, and by the way, as I'm talking about what a pastor is, if by the end of the message you come to the conclusion that I'm just not the guy that you want as a pastor, that's totally fine. Don't leave during the message. Just like close your Bibles and I'll get it. But, um, but seriously, if, if what you end up seeing in this church, I don't care if you like the donuts, if you like all the ancillary ministries, if you like all the other stuff that's going on in the church, if you don't see me doing what a pastor's supposed to do, you're stupid to go here, and you shouldn't go here. And I would encourage you to find a place where this is done better. Um, and that goes for wherever you are in your life and whenever you find yourself in a position of deciding what kind of teaching you're going to sit under. So you see that. And then he goes on and, and begins to talk about when there are problems with a pastor. And there will be. Pastors mess up. Now, none of us think that we're wrong, ever. I never do something and think I was wrong. Sometimes a little later, I think, eh, that was probably stupid. But usually, even when I think it was wrong, it's because I think there are stupid people out there who can't take a joke or something like that. But the truth is, I've noticed every other pastor I know messes up a lot. And so I'm thinking I probably do too, even though none of us seem to think that way. But the truth is, we're all going to mess up. You're not going to find a perfect pastor. You're not going to find a place where everything goes the way that it should. And so it was important for Timothy, dealing with pastors and dealing with leadership, to know how to address it when there's something that's going wrong, when there's something that, that goofs up. And so he says, don't receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. And, and this is important. The word accusation means like legal charges, literally. But it's the idea of what are you going to defend yourself against? And how are you going to address it when it seems like something is wrong? 
And a part of the respect that we ought to have for pastors is we shouldn't expect them to, de- to respond and to defend themselves every time someone thinks that they've messed up. And this is hard because, I mean, we're all sensitive in different ways, and I'm a pretty sensitive person, and, and I often, when, when someone's upset with me or they think that I've goofed up, I, I can take it really personally. I can internalize it and, and, and feel like, oh man, I, I need to defend myself. And I get you know, every day I get lots of emails and people, everyone, anyone who wants it can find out my email address. It's, I think it's probably on our website because everyone manages to find it. And it's not that tricky, Dave Rolf at calvarychapel.com. Um, but like this week, a couple days ago, and I came back from vacation and I'm going through all these emails and there's a guy who wrote me an email and he said, I listened to you on K-Wave and, and he went on for pages just blasting me. And his his particular cause was that he's a Catholic and, and he doesn't think Mary ever sinned or had any sin. And then he was going on about, um, he's, a, he's a peace activist and, and I'm in favor of bombing Iran and Russia and I'm all into the death penalty and killing people. And I'm like, I wonder where he got this stuff. And then at the end of all of it, he said, if you don't respond to this, you're a coward. I'm like, okay, I'll respond. <laughs> but I, you know, I prayed about it, and I thought, I'm reading it over, and I'm thinking, I bet this guy sent this to every teacher on K-Wave and just acted like it was personal because he's mad in general about all sorts of things that he's heard. So I said, I, I wrote him back, and I said, hey, if you, you've called me a lot of names and things like that, and you seem like you're really mad that I'm judgmental, and I'm having a hard time seeing that you're not judging me for being judgmental, and that's sort of ironic. But I said, if you'll, I, I have a feeling that you're listening to a lot of teaching, and you're lumping us all together. So I said, I'll, I'll answer for whatever it is that I've said, but why don't you listen to my program, and then when you hear me say something that you think is horrible, then... I'll, I'll talk to you about it. And I, and I said, if you think I'm a coward, let's do it in person. And, and so, you know, then he wrote back and he said, yeah, I did send it to everyone, but I'm so mad at K-Wave and blah, blah, blah. And, and he goes, can you just answer these three questions? So I took some time to talk to him about Mary and about the death penalty and about war and different things and wrote back to him. But I, how many times can I do that because one guy has an issue with something? And that time takes me away from something else that I could be doing. And so the idea is don't let people or pastors get bogged down in having to answer every kind of crackpot concern or even legitimate concern that someone has until you can triangulate and several people are saying this and then you go, okay, maybe this is something that ought to be addressed. I had someone a couple weeks ago who was upset with me. Um, she had sent me a, a videotape that she thought proved that, that the president is a Muslim. And I said, you know, I watched the whole videotape. He never says that he's a Muslim. I may have a lot of issues with him, but I certainly, if he says he's not a Muslim, I'll take him at his word. And she got really upset about it. Now, that may not be you. A bunch of people sent me that video, okay? I prefer the funny videos, but... Um, <laughs> So, you know, but I just told her, I go, I don't like listening to things that I know are a lie. And so if all the other links, she also had told me that if you'll just stop watching sports, you'll have time to watch all these links that I'm sending you. And I'm like, okay. But 
So she, I said, if your other links are like this one, I, I really, sorry, you know, but... And so she, she then sent an email out to everyone in her address list, and I'm in her address list, so I got it too, saying that Dave Rolf is a great teacher, but I'm not going to go to his church anymore because, you know, he doesn't believe that Barack Obama's a Muslim, and he never speaks on prophecy enough. All these, she named a couple other Calvaries, they're always having prophecy conferences, and Dave never speaks on prophecy. I'm like, I speak on it every time it comes up in the Bible, I'm sure I believe about it the same way as you do, maybe leaving out some of the black helicopters and stuff, but, I, you know, <laughs> but it was like, I felt like, now all these people have heard this, what do you do? And it stresses you out, and, and really, we shouldn't expect pastors to respond because one person has a great concern. The idea is, hey, if this is becoming a common issue, if, if you're hearing it from more than one, peop- one person, hopefully the pastor has the kind of spirit that will assess that and evaluate that. I personally wouldn't want to be in submission to a teacher who can't consider that he might be wrong, but I don't want him to necessarily have to jump through my hoops, but I, I at least want to know that the guy is going to listen and I appreciate when people go, hey, maybe this is just me. If it is, then great. But I just, you know, what you said came across like this. And when I see that, I love it. I appreciate it. And I I wouldn't respect anyone who won't listen to what people have to say. But Paul's point is, you can't make them respond to all of it. Why? Because that takes you away from what you're really called to do. And so, you know, that's kind of the idea there. Make sure that you have solid witnesses who will face you. You deserve to face your accusers. And you can. The, and the notion is you ought to be able to sit down and discuss issues that come up in church discipline that involves leaders. And this is a little different than Matthew 18 among members of the body. It's a little different than Galatians 6 if your brother has offended you. The idea here is, and as we read on, he says, those who are sinning rebuke or admonish in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. That's not in the presence of everyone or in the presence of the world or the whole church. The idea is get the pastors together and talk about issues that come up that are problematic. And among the pastors, there ought to be a place where somebody can go, you know what, look, we all kind of think it, you messed up. You ought to consider this. And where then we can just go, wow, I appreciate that. And I I don't think the church nowadays does a real good job of this. The church is really good at pushing things under the carpet. And there are people who have major character flaws and really, the qualifications of elders are all about character. And it never gets addressed unless they get caught having an affair, and then they just boot them out, and nobody, you know, it's just like, you're gone unless you're famous enough, and then you bounce back. But, you know, in all the other areas of qualifications of elders, we just don't address it. There isn't a place where pastors will get together and hold each other accountable. And when you try to do it, often you find the door slammed in your face. Because, and I know as a pastor, I'm pretty committed to, if I see another pastor that's messing up, I'll I'll try to, if I know him, if I have an avenue of communication with them, I'll try to share it with them. But more often than not, because other people don't do it, you don't have the two or three witnesses, and they just think, well, you know, you're a crackpot. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm responsible to put it out there and 
that's it. I can't go beyond that. But here the idea was that, man, you should be able to get the elders together and deal with issues that come up. And this also speaks of a character of a person. Can he handle that? Is he willing to sit down with some people and discuss issues of concern and be able to deal with them constructively and bring about healing and restoration, which is always the goal of it? And so it presents an idea of pastors as being those who are held accountable by other pastors and those who have a spirit of, of submission to others in terms of being held accountable and desiring that accountability, that's the way the system's designed and that's the way it's supposed to be. And then he says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. So he said, when you're dealing with these kinds of issues, make sure that it's not coming from a prejudicial standpoint to judge something beforehand. In other words, if you're going to talk to someone about issues that you see within their ministry, whatever their ministry is, make sure that you haven't prejudged the situation before you even talk to them. It's so powerful to be able to sit down with someone that you have a difference with and to be able to say, you know, I wanted to hear from you. What's the deal? It kind of was coming across, and I'm hearing this, and this is happening, but you know, I wanted to give you a chance to respond to this. What were you thinking? What, what was going on behind that? And again, that sort of an attitude fosters the kind of accountability that he's talking about, and as well as the fact that he's going, hey, do not use this as a way to push your personal agenda. Do not use this as a way to hammer someone and go talk to them when You've already got your mind made up about it. Don't be prejudiced. And don't do anything with partiality. The, the word for that, the word proclesis in the Greek, is a word that means to lean towards. It's the same word that's transliterated into the English word proclivity. The idea is you don't want someone, you, you don't want to be um, submissive to someone or involved in a ministry just because they have your proclivity. You don't pick who's going to teach you based on whether or not you already agree with everything that they say. You know, you're like, yeah, man, I like everything about this person, so that's the kind of pastor that I want. Elements of ministry should not be about proclivity. I mean, I don't, I don't want people coming to our church and going, yeah, you know, I love it because you ride a Harley, I ride a Harley, you like ultimate fighting, I like ultimate fighting, so I feel totally at home here. I mean, I hope people who don't like ultimate fighting feel comfortable being here. Now, if ultimate fighting is the most horrible thing to you in the world, I get that. And you know, if you can't get past that, if you can't forgive me for that sin, okay. But the whole thing is, you don't want to submit yourself to a ministry because its proclivity lines up with yours. It's, it leaned towards you because what we need to do is to be challenged. You may find out a real beauty in ultimate fighting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Even my wife had to turn away from it last night when a guy developed a third eye. But, um, poor guy. But, um, but, you know, it's like, am I, am I involved in ministry because I want to be with people who are just like me? 
Or do I really want to hear from God? Am I open to someone who has a different perspective than I do sharing with me? And it's important to have pastors who have that attitude. You don't want to follow a pastor who is prejudiced or a pastor who is partial. You don't want to have involved in ministry the whole idea of, um, you know, oh, this guy's famous or this guy's special or don't you know who he is or whatever. We want to treat everyone alike. And people that I respect in ministry are people who don't have that, who don't lean into that proclivity, partiality, prejudicial sort of a mentality. And that's, and that's important. And then he says, boy, the time's going fast. Don't lay hands on anyone hastily. Don't rush into putting, making someone in charge of a ministry or sharing other people's sins because that's what you'll be doing when you jump into something. Keep yourself pure or clean. Now, the idea here is, he said, it's a lot easier to put somebody into a ministry than it is to get them out of the ministry. And I've had this happen where you just think, wow, this person would be perfect for doing this job. And you put them in there and it's really hard to get rid of them. It's difficult. And so he says, don't rush into that. And I think it's true that you shouldn't just rush into deciding where you're going to go to church. Um, I, I meet people every week who go, this is my first time here. I've heard you on the radio. And this is my new church home. I love it here. And I'm like, well... Give it a couple weeks. I mean, you, you might not. And take your time in, in making those kinds of decisions. I had one guy one time who came to me, and he, he said, boy, this is the first time here, but I've admired your teaching for years. I love it. I'm going to be here. I want to get involved in ministry. I want to serve God here. You can count on me. I'm going to be here. And a few days later, he called me, and he goes, hey, um, man, I loved your message Sunday and everything, but my junior high daughter didn't like the smell of the junior high room. So we're going to have to look for another church. Okay, that's fine, but at least go sniff the rooms before you decide <laughs> I'm loyal to you until the death. You know? <laughs> Take your time. It's no, it's no rush. And I know some of you have been here with me for seven years and you're still trying to figure it out. That's okay. But, but the idea is don't commit to something. Don't commit to someone. Don't put someone into a position until you give it enough time to see, it's only, it's only if people stand the test of time that they should really be followed anyway. And there's something really exciting about young people. They have all this energy and everything. But there's also something to be respected, as we've seen earlier in this chapter, about people who are experienced. And personally, I have a lot of guys in ministry who I listen to their teaching, and I really respect them highly because I've seen them do it for a long time. They've been standing there faithfully serving the Lord. And, they're, and I, I'm not just talking about in, in our movement, people like Chuck. I'm talking about you know, guys like Chuck Swindoll and John MacArthur and, and uh, Jack Hayford. And you know, there's a bunch of them, these guys that have been serving God for so long. And just because you've been doing it a long time doesn't automatically you know, mean it's, yeah, this is great, but I love J. Vernon McGee. I listened to him on my way to church this morning. He's been dead for 20 years, and I had a chance to know him personally a bit, and, and he's a real character, and I could tell you stories that might turn you off to him, but the bottom line is this is a guy who 20 years after he died still teaches the Word of God all the way through it 
every day, constantly. That's what he did his whole life. And I don't care if you, you know, maybe his drawl bugs you or something, but man, to me, that's a guy that I would say, I appreciate him. And there are a lot of guys out there who have been through a lot and they are still serving God faithfully. And, you know, some of them are in, our, in the Calvary movement and some of them are in other movements. And we have some of them, Alistair Begg and people like that, who you just have to go, even guys that I disagree with doctrinally in some areas, like a John Piper, who I think is too much of a Calvinist for my taste. And yet, man, I respect a guy who loves God that much and is serving him faithfully. And I'll sit under his teaching anytime because this is somebody who is not a novice. It's not some guy, the latest flavor of the month pastor who has better jokes than other guys, but it's somebody who's hanging in there and still doing what they're supposed to be doing. I'll get off my soapbox. Um, (laughs) And then it's interesting, and this seems like a weird place to put this, and this is a verse that's used out of context more than almost any. He, he, He goes, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Now, you know, we talk about this as being, you know, some people use it to defend having a glass of wine once in a while. Other people argue, well, that's just medicinal, and that's all. But what's it doing here is what I'd like to ask. And earlier in the week as I was studying this passage, I thought, it makes sense to me. I get it. Because poor Timothy is having to deal with elders, and anytime you're in a position of dealing with pastors, it gets ugly, especially when they mess up. It's horrible. To, to supervise other pastors and things like that. And if you're a younger guy doing it, it's really difficult. And so I just thought, I get it. Paul is saying, he's telling Timothy all this stuff, and Timothy's stressing out over it, and Paul's going, Timothy, stop right now, go take a drink, and we'll get back and we'll finish this discussion. <laughs> but it, in, on further reflection, I don't think that's what he was saying. I, I think... I think in the context, what he's, what he's using is he's saying, obviously, this isn't, I'm not giving you new information, but he's saying, when, you're, when your stomach is upset, you take something for it. For them, that, an alcoholic beverage would be something that they would use medicinally. And so he's saying, in the same way that if you're sick, you take medicine, he's saying, when you have these sick situations, you need to deal with them. And even though you may not want to, even though you may not even like the taste of medicine, you may be concerned about it or whatever, hey, when you've got a problem in the body and when you have a problem with leaders, medicine is sometimes necessary. Severe measures may need to be taken in order to prevent something that can develop further. And in the church today, um, an awful lot of horrible things have gone on Because people who are in a position to do something about problems don't deal with them because they want to go into denial about their condition. And the stomach may be sick, but they're not willing to take the medicine that's necessary in order to to, to make the repairs that are necessary. And so I think that makes more sense. I think that's probably what he's saying. He goes on to say, some men's sins are clearly evident. Sometimes you just look at them and you know, this guy just should not, he's got a problem. Preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. Sometimes you've got to watch them a while before you see how messed up they are. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident. 
and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. And so, again, and part of this is probably referring to laying hands on someone suddenly, but the idea is take a good look at pastors. Take a good look at people you're following. Don't just assume because wow, they've been there a long time, or wow, they've really helped me in my early walk, or wow, because... No, take a look and take this seriously. If problems aren't being dealt with, you're a part of the problem. And sometimes the only avenue that you have to deal with the problem might be to transplant yourself, and thank God we have enough places where you have a lot of good choices. If you feel ever that you're not getting out of church what you ought to, you feel that you're not being fed or challenged. If you feel that, you know, you look at me and you just go, I'm not sure about his integrity. You know, don't hang around because you like the building or you're curious to see how the parking lot's going to come out. Be, be responsible. And, and if necessary, don't sit under a leader who shouldn't be your leader. Everyone isn't for everyone. But the church has really been damaged because we're not willing to make those tough decisions. We're not willing, and those in leadership especially are responsible for letting problems fester for a long time because it's just too unpleasant to have to address the problems. And here Paul is letting Timothy know this is serious stuff. Take this seriously. The role of a pastor, the role of someone who is teaching you is, is a deeply personal and and critical um, relationship. And so he says, treat it like that. Respect the man or the woman. Respect, and I don't believe in women pastors as being a senior pastor, but there are women who are in pastoral positions, whether people like it or not, ministering in other ways. Take that position, take that calling seriously. And, and really um, treat it the way that it ought to be treated. And this is doubly true when you're in a position of ministry. Take very seriously the responsibilities, obligations that you have. It's not to be dealt with lightly. And when there are problems, you need to deal with them, whether you like it or not, whether it's going to be comfortable or not. So good reminders. Sorry for going late, as always, but um, that's the way it goes. Find another pastor if you don't like it. <laughs> there are some guys who will speak for 20 minutes, and they'll have you out of there but they won't say anything nearly as profound. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we better pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for your faithfulness to us. And God, um, you did come up with a good plan. When we mess it up, it's not your fault. So please help us. Those of us who are in positions of, of leadership, whether it's just in our families or in other ministries or in the church, Help us to live up to the standards that make us worth honoring, that make us worth treating well. Lord, help me as the pastor of this church to be the kind of person that's worth paying, that's worth following, who has the focus that I, that I need to be faithful to you. And Lord, for all of us, as throughout the day we have opportunities to listen to teaching, lead and guide us so that we will be fed by people who are doing this right and who stand before us as, as good examples of, of what ministry ought to be. We thank you, Lord, so much for your faithfulness to us, for, for you showing us how it's done. Help us to follow you well. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's all stand. Um, hey, if you need prayer for any reason, and I haven't talked about accepting Jesus,